You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? As always, it's great to be back. Yes, it is, and we have some interesting and fun topics as this year sort of comes to an end. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about why your social media marketing campaign didn't work and what to do about it. And that can be a, and should be a, a really wide ranging conversation, Nick, and something we hear from uh, indie creatives a lot. And we'll expound upon that in a minute. And we're also going to talk about the shakeup at Warner Brothers and how it affects independent filmmakers and what independent filmmakers should take from this uh, uh, movement that's happening towards streaming and HBO Max at Warner Brothers. So, Nick, before we hop into that, what are your plans for Christmas? Man, I must say, to be honest, I want to sleep. Now, you're talking about Christmas Day. You're talking about around Christmas because... Yeah, what is, what is Christmas? Day. Yeah, I just want to sleep. You know, like, <laughs> I just want to take, <laughs> take a break, you know, and just get some rest, just relax, maybe eat some good food, drink some good drink. Uh, you know, toast to some of the people that, you know, you, you wish you could be spending this time with, but uh, COVID says you should do otherwise. But I just, yeah, man, this holiday season, I just want to take a break from it all, relax, uh, enjoy time with my family. And, you know, we've got a couple surprises for the kiddos. So, you know, hopefully we can make their, make their day or make their year. So that's about it for me. Yeah. And you said it right. You said holiday season. And it's like when people say, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? I don't think they mean the 25th. I think they kind of mean like the realm of the holiday, right? Yeah, you just did that like circle thing with your hand, didn't you? You're like the realm. I know everybody can see me right now. I got my hand open like and doing a little circle thing. Like I, I did do it. How did you, you know that? that? <laughs> Is that because you can see me? I don't know if you can see me through my camera, but yeah, no, I, did. I, I literally can't. do exactly. you know me that well? That's I know you that well, man. I know you that well. The realm... Yeah, so for us, uh, Christmas season or the holiday season started on November 1st. <laughs> uh, you know, the kids were just like, you know, we want to start decorating and doing all the things like right after Halloween. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's funny because, you know, they used to be the ones who'd walk in the, you know, in the store, you know, around November 1st and see all the Christmas stuff and be like, why do they have all this Christmas stuff up? You know, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. And this year, they're the ones who are like, nope, November 1st, tree goes up, decorations start. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. Let's make it happen. I have to admit, I started earlier in the, earlier than normal this year as well. Not with like the gift buying or anything like that, but yeah. like with like the festivities. Like I had Christmas lights up in my house. I have a massive sign in the front of my house that says Merry Christmas. I mean, it has got to be, oh gosh, Nick, 
I'd say 20 yards wide. <laughs> no, maybe not that. Maybe, maybe it's more like 15 yards. It's 15 yards <laughs> wide. It's, it's and it's about three feet tall. It says Merry Christmas. It's unbelievable. And it's like so much, it's like an overwhelming amount of Christmas joy. And uh, I even went in for my Christmas drink and my holiday drink earlier this year. Like I started drinking it like right at Thanksgiving. I normally wait like at least three weeks before I go in. And here's the drink. The drink is vanilla spiced eggnog with some uh, Sailor Jerry's spiced rum. So you do basically four parts eggnog to one part rum. You can throw a cinnamon stick if you want to. A lot of people just don't have cinnamon sticks laying around. So if you don't have that, I like to take a little bit of nutmeg and a little bit of cinnamon, put it, just sprinkle it, just every little, little sprinkle, delicate little sprinkle over the top. And then you have a very tasty, very fattening, but very delicious holiday drink that everyone's just going to think you're drinking the nog, but you are knocking back some of grandpa's old cough medicine. Yeah, for sure. And I'll give you, so my eggnog beverage would be very similar, uh, but I would use one of two different liquors in it. Uh, one could be the Black Seal Spiced mm. Rum, mm. which is very good. Um, those are often used, or that liquor is often used in a dark and stormy. Um, but then another one that I don't know if a lot of people drink would be the uh, Cafe Patron. Mm. So that's the coffee-flavored liqueur that Patron makes. So if you drop that in some eggnog, yeah, you got a tasty little beverage. But that so, has tequila in it, right? Yeah. So it's tequila and what else? So it's just coffee Patron. So it's a coffee-flavored tequila. Oh, it's the coffee. Oh, got it. Okay. I have a bottle of Casa Azul. It is worth, I don't know if it's worth the money. <laughs> but, it's, but, it's, but it's very delicious. It is like the best tequila I think I've ever drank. And I was just thinking if I can use that in this mixed drink, then it'd be great. But it sounds like I need, I guess I could make coffee and then mix it with, but I don't think it needs Nah, nah. You do the Cafe Patron. It's a nice little mix to go with the eggnog. Okay. Next time you, we see each other, I'll give you, I'll let you sip the Casa Azul and then let you tell me what you think. Okay. Yeah. Cause we sip the goodness. Yeah, we All don't right. drink we it. Don't We're drink not getting it. drunk. Exactly. We're not animals. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do we look like? Come on now. I'm not we animal. Sip. You're right. We sit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great year. And knock on wood, we both made it through the end of the most tumultuous year in our life. And to be to come through unscathed is truly a blessing. And again, like I say, Knock on wood, there's still time for a Hail Mary for COVID. No, no, no we're good, man. We're but good. I think, but I think yeah. we're gonna be good. Okay. Yep, for sure. Uh let's hop in, man. Yeah, let's do it. This this first topic about social media campaigns is really near and dear to our heart, obviously. Bonsai is an advisory uh, producer uh services team. Uh, and a lot of those advisory uh, producer services revolve around branding and marketing. So again, very close to our heart. And then on top of that, I think we would say of the hundreds of prospectus, screenplays, budgets, pitches we get, about 90% of them are without line items in indie films specifically. 
are without line items for marketing or branding, which is essentially a death nail to the whole entire project. But when you go out into the world and you survey independent filmmakers that are creative and super smart and almost like engineers and, and going out and creating on a dime and on, on a small budget, it's, it's amazing. And if you talk to them and say, hey, what, what did you do for marketing? Almost everyone says, yeah, we had a marketing plan. We did it. And then we find out that maybe it was the marketing plan was going to uh, a group of festivals. Or maybe the marketing plan was to let every one of their friends know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter that they have a movie out. Or maybe their plan was to uh, get it to a distributor and let the distributor in a services deal do all the marketing for them. Or maybe it was they spent uh, $500 to $1,000 putting out um, ads, paid ads, onto Facebook, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. And then you'll ask the, the next question, Nick, the, in, in the inevitable question, well, how did that work out for you? <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> and well, I'll say, well, it didn't really move the needle. And so we don't really believe in it. We don't really think this is necessary. We don't really think this works for independent filmmakers. And I'm here to tell you that that's just not the case. And there's probably a reason why or a few reasons why your campaign didn't work. And so we're going to go through a couple of those reasons now. Um, one of the first reasons is because is, uh, is because your marketing wasn't tied or I should say reason number one, Nick, it's because your marketing wasn't tied to a compelling or emotional or, or an emotion deriving brand. And so one of the things that we always talk about Nick is how soon did you start the branding effort to sort of let your community, your people know, or people that might be interested in this subject, the audience you pick, right. Uh, or that you're trying to serve. How soon did you let them know about what the movie was about? The, the, the tone and brand of your project, Nick. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you, you'd said earlier that like 90%, you know, of what we see, what we've received, you know, doesn't have this in it. I think it's probably you're being nice, you know, it, it might be on the order of 95 to 99%, right. It's, it's that, you know, from our perspective, that bad, you mm -hmm. know, that folks aren't, you know, including, you know, a budget or a specific plan for these. And I just also want to mention that you said, you know, a plan and, you know, from my background and, you know, you know, project management, program management, and strategic planning, you know, a plan is a very specific and, and thoughtful thing, mm -hmm. right? It isn't just the thing that you just do. It's the thing that you execute, right? You, you refer to it. And, you know, I think, you know, the idea of just, Hey, I'm going to tell people on social that I've got this movie out. That's not a plan. You know, you didn't execute on something that you'd been thoughtful about because if you'd been thoughtful about it, that's not how you would have executed, but right. you know, getting, getting to your point there. Yeah. There's a, there's a huge challenge in, in indie film, I think where there's just this, uh, this almost this odd sense that your indie film is on the same playing field or the same level as studio content. Right. And, and just by making it, making your film, people are going to want to see it or people are going to know it's out there. You know, 
And that's just not the case. So just like you're saying, like you need to get out to the audiences very early on that you expect to watch this and, you know, have a conversation with them, invite them into the process, you know, let them know why they need your content because ultimately what you're doing is you're asking them to take their eyes away from the thing that's familiar and then look your way. Mm -hmm. Right. That doesn't just happen by you creating a thing. You know, it's like, it's like the idea of, um, you know, someone makes a film and they're like, well, it's, it's the best thing I've ever made. I've been working on this thing for 20 years and here it is, this is my film. And it's, it's wonderful. Well, that's awesome. And we applaud you, you know, for getting it done. We applaud you for living with this thing for 20 years and it being your passion. Uh, we applaud you for, for finishing it, putting it out there in the world. But if people don't know about your content, if they don't know about your purpose, your passion, all these things, then they may never even see the wonderful thing that you created. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're dealing with. So yeah, I, I totally agree that that messaging in the beginning is huge. Like you have to go after that audience specifically to let them know that you're here and then give them a compelling reason as to why they should take their eyes off of the thing that's familiar on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or wherever else uh, to pay attention to your thing. Right. And, and so when you get the sort of noun, if you will, or maybe at worst, I don't know, Nick, adverb of branding, <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to follow it with the verb of marketing. So marketing is really just the action you're taking upon creating a compelling and emotional brand. And the best brands, I keep using the word emotional, the best brands really are emotional. They really drive some sort of emotion and feeling uh, around the, the creation of it. And what I see a lot today in independent film, the brand has to do with some sort of social movement. Uh, I'm seeing that being a great path to emotional branding. Like I'm the person, you know, from these protest videos from earlier this year, or I'm the person who empowers female independent writers and creatives to just go for it or whatever it may be. Or uh, I'm the uh, female filmmaker that makes movies about women that are doing these different things or amazing things. Or I'm this person that employs these people that normally don't get employed. So all these different ways to sort of draw emotion and attention to yourself as a filmmaker first to create a brand. It doesn't have to be social, by the way, but I'm just seeing that a lot because it's 2020, right? Yeah, before, for sure. before that, there are lots of different, obviously, ways to do it um, and, and to create that brand for yourself. A lot of times you can create a brand for yourself, let's say if it were any other year but 2020, right? By the content you make, right? I make th not horror films. I make this type of horror film. I don't make sci-fi movies. I make whimsical sci-fi movies. Um, I don't do... So you're in the genre, but you have a subgenre that's specific to you where, the th where there's an edge to what you're making that, that makes your audience even more sharp and even more specific in the most beautiful way. I think it took a lot of books, but eventually with the films, like, you know, a Stephen King movie, like he, that's a brand of horror film. You kind of know what you're going to, what to expect there. Right. But once you have that brand, then you know what action to take 
with the verb of marketing. So you can take that content and hit the right audiences in the right place, where they live, where they're at, and, and then push people you know, to the place you want them to go. Yeah. And with that, I was going to say that, you know, what you mentioned, you know, the best brands provide this emotional hook, if you will. And I think it's because the best brands make you the hero in your own story and they present themselves as the guide. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's the key. And for me, for, you know, any type of independent filmmaking or any type of filmmaking period, I guess that's the goal. I think it's just greater in, um, independent filmmaking, because, you know, where, where are you guiding these people to, uh, when you don't have, you know, like the, the IP, the intellectual property that's associated with some of these bigger films, right? It's like, it's easier, you know, I, I, I get it. This is, you know, 2020 is a whole different thing and it, it causes challenges across the board. So I'm not going to say that it was easy, um, to market trolls, but it's easy to market trolls. <laughs> right, like <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's a kids' movie. It's animated. There was already a trolls. Like you know, people were kind of waiting for the follow up to that. There, there is a, a bit of a you know, uh, there's an absence to that type of content from the from the big studio. So again, there's kind of an appetite already there. Um, but again, you know, when you're making from an independent side that's the key is that, you know, they, there needs to be an emotional tie to your audience as to why or, or what you're doing for them um, so that they can watch this film, right? It's like, what are you doing for them in their lives? You know, that's why in independent film, you'll see that documentaries do very well, right? It's either, you know, telling their story, right, of the audience that you want to watch, or it's educating an audience regarding someone else's story, so that's very simple, you know, to show, oh, yeah, you're the hero in this story and I'm your guide. Uh, when it comes to other uh, genres of film, it can get more difficult, um, but it's not impossible, right? Documentaries basically hit you over the head with it, whereas you can have documentary-type themes in a drama. You can do that in a horror film. You can do that in a comedy but it's not just because you're doing a horror film for the, for the blood and the scare. It's not, you, you're not just doing the comedy for the sake of the jokes, but it's the same thing. Where are you taking your audience? You know, why do they need to go on this journey with you? What are you doing for them? You know, that's the key. And I think in a lot of stuff that we've been dealing with with independent filmmakers, the indie filmmakers seem to make it about themselves so much that they're, they're blinded to the need to be there for their audience. It's brilliantly put. And it's a great point. It is such a, a meaningful point. And I think it's actually true of all sort of outbound messaging. Uh, if you have any type of outbound messaging, if you can make it about the person that's getting the message and not about what you need from them, it's going to be twice as successful. And that's just sort of a law of, of maybe sales and, and marketing. And, you know, if you will, and so, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a critical point to bring up, uh, the other factor too, and this could go, I'll say this is the second reason by the way. Um, but it could also go with the first reason. And the second reason your plan might not work is because where you're taking people is 
not optimized. I know there's just like this thought that, oh, no one goes to websites anymore. Everyone's on social. It's just not true. What's happening is, is people are going to websites, but through their phone. And so you need to have a great mobile site that's very simple and very clear. But what does that mean? It also means your content has to be great to go there. And so if you have created you know, content to push out about your film, that means your trailer and your teaser have to be superb. And oftentimes, like Nick was saying earlier, or like you were saying earlier, Nick, you know, what is it about that content that's going to make me turn my eyes away from this over here to that over there, right? And to, to your content, um, and we talk, you talked about trolls. Well, trolls has a totally different problem. It's like apples and oranges. Their problem is how do we market to get the profit we're supposed to get based on the budget of this film? And an independent filmmaker is to strict attention on their audience, right? Um, they don't have to worry about getting people to understand their brand as trolls. They have, exactly. Their, their issue is how do we get uh, the most uh, dollars per view, per, per uh, person, uh, as possible. And so there's a sort of a, a more economically focused and, and targeted deal. I think with indie filmmakers are like, we have to build the brand and then hope people will come so that we could get fair market value. And we're going to talk about that later, but here's the deal. Your content has to be compelling enough to get people to turn their heads. And frankly, a lot of times the website is not paid attention to enough. And the excuse that's used is, well, no one goes to websites anymore. And I'm just here to say, it's just not true. Uh, so let's say your teaser and your trailer are great, compelling. They click through, go to that website, the messaging uh, on that website, the way your website works needs to be uh, targeted. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. When someone watches your trailer, you need to know who that person is. And when someone goes to your website, you need to know who that person was, what state they were from or city. And this technology is out there. It's readily available. And you need to know how long they stayed on your website and what they did transactionally while they were on your website. Why? Because you might have done all the right things and paired your audience down to like the tip of a pencil or pen, but you might find out that the people that are actually clicking on your trailer or teaser based on how you cut it are different than the audience that you expected to, to get. And I know Nick, me and you have worked on films before where we thought, okay, 35 to 45 year old women are going to love this. And then it turned out they didn't. <laughs> and, and we, and we couldn't figure out why. And it turned out our demographic was actually older and uh, too old. And that, that 25 to 35 year old women liked it a lot more, or even 20 to 30 year old women liked it more. And we needed to understand that through A-B split testing. But without knowing who your audience is, you're kind of just throwing darts in the dark, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I'd like to go back to the, the website idea, which is, you know, honestly, I mean, if you think that people are just using social, I don't know if people are thinking that, you know, this is just like, just kids go to social and maybe that's your audience. And you think that that's what they're doing um, because they're on social a lot. But, you know, ultimately, it's, everyone kind of knows that social is the facade, right? It's like, you know, tiny little bits and bites of what a person or a company or a brand is really about. So 
you know, especially a business, right? Ultimately, you know, as a filmmaker putting out a film, it's a business. So in order for someone to find more, you know, they're going to go to the website, right? And the absence of a website just creates doubt, you know, Mm -hmm. about what this thing is, why it's here, who are the people involved in it? You know, it doesn't seem legit, right? Because legitimate businesses have websites. So I think that, yeah, that's definitely a falsehood to think that, you know, people are only looking at social, you know, because that's, it doesn't give the full picture and people want the full picture before they're willing to invest their time or money into any product. So I think that's definitely a big thing. And then of course, when they get there, it's what you do for them and what you do with them, you know, when they get there. So, you know, part of a marketing plan is to one, have a website Two, make sure you have compelling content. Um, and that includes the text, the graphics, the teasers, the trailers and all that stuff available uh, as well as, you know, information about the filmmakers, information about the process. And again, getting back to the, that first principle about, you know, what is this thing about? You know, not, not just the product and what it can do, but what it can do for the person who's going to watch it. You know, what's compelling them to look at this versus something else. So, so yeah, those, those landing pages, you know, like a website, it's, it's very important to, to make sure you're capturing people. Yeah, it, it really is. And w- what I've seen is, is the website is a, a check the box item. And really you need to treat it the way you would treat home base when you're on set, right? When the first thing the producers do or producer does when they're putting a film together in pre-production is they're saying, okay, where's camp going to be? Like, where are we going to look at the dailies? Where are we going to go back to um, when all the filmmaking is done to keep, to work on, you know, contracts, union stuff, paperwork, uh, where's the editors, you know, going to be, you know, for the dailies where, you know, like you're trying to figure out, you know, what about uh, talent we're flying in that, that maybe doesn't stay in a hotel, where are they going to go? Where do they check in at? It's a big priority is what I'm saying. Your website's the same way. So in your branding and marketing plan, a lot of times we'll see the website be in, in oh, by the way. No, no, it's your home base. Yep, start, sure. start there and then span out. Because, and, and I've heard some nightmare stories about um, Kickstarter, Nick, about, um, and maybe it wasn't always this way, like day one Kickstarter, but lately I've heard, okay, Kickstarter is kind of a nightmare if you're trying to raise funds for your movie on Kickstarter. But the thing I like about Kickstarter is it forces you into a thought process that you should be using when you build your website. I truly believe that if you approach building your website, the way you would approach building the Kickstarter campaign to convince somebody to be transactional with you there, your website's going to be awesome because you're going to give them what Nick, you're going to give them your why. Yep, or your sure. whys, if you yep. if you will. And they're going to now be part of your story for every person that takes the time to sort of understand why this film exists, who you are as a filmmaker, and why they should invest in it. And and then so once they're there and you know who they are, you can actually be transactional with them, target them a little better. And the one thing I love is this: hey, they watch this trailer. I know who you are. The next ad I send them is going to be a, a purchase link or a buy now button or whatever, right? So you can retarget and it's called retargeting. 
So you came to my website, you danced around for a little while. I know who you are. Not only I'm going to send ads, a retargeted ad, not just to you, but to everybody kind of like you, right? So whatever I can find out about you through uh, the bots I have working on my website, that's what I'll do. These are the kind of people in this area, uh, this sex, whatever, like this, my content. I'm going to retarget, send an ad to purchase, and I'm going to keep sending that until they become transactional on it. And that's kind of um, why the website needs to be home-based. And then all your social and everything else needs to be sort of the octopus legs around it. Okay. Reason number three, clear messaging. And again, it's interesting because clear messaging could be part of number two, right? It could be part of having a great website. Because what do you need on a great website, Nick? Hey, well, you have to have a clear message and clear content and everything needs to be tied back to the initial thing, which is, you know, what is the emotional driver, you know, for someone to, to watch your film? So yeah, they're all, you know, interconnected. That's right. That's right. And so I've seen this done a few ways, but I'm starting to see uh, a successful path forward um, in, in the second way. So the first way I saw was, or I've seen is uh, you have a paid ad on Instagram and on, in the text part of it, you have quite a bit of text there. And then uh, a learn more button at, on the picture that you can click. Um, but now what I'm seeing is literally just the learn more button with a very compelling teaser or trailer, Nick. And then literally your slug line or tagline to your movie. Nothing more. Very clear. This is what this movie is. Maybe you skip a space or two and you have starring and then it's just everybody it's starring and no big, no big hashtag tree, Nick. There's not 30 or uh, hashtags there, which I think is the IG maximum yep. there. There's just one or two hashtags. So there's not a lot of investment put in the time it takes to create the spot. Right. And the message is super clear. Everybody gets it. Um, and uh, it's not confusing as to like, trust me on this, uh, unclear message will keep people from clicking to find out more. Yeah. And that when you say unclear, you know, that also gets into just noise, right? So I think the hashtags create noise. Hashtag noise. Yep. Additional content <laughs> that you might write. <laughs> it all creates noise. Um, and then even, you know, we talk about clear message or just let's call it clarity of message that also comes down to, you know, your teaser, your trailer and any images that you use, you know, those images, you know, you might be using, uh, let's say stills that you took, but are those stills purposeful, right? Are they associated with the brand of the film? Mm, yeah. Right. It's, it's not okay just to take a still and put it up there. No, no. What is the essence here? Like, what is the emotional tie? What are you trying to say? And does that image portray that? So if it doesn't, then again, you've created some noise because you might've created some confusion or someone might've considered that image to be, you know, something else, something different. They got a different sentiment from it. So all of that needs to be tied together uh, on all of your platforms. So social, whatever you text to your friends and family, whatever you put on your personal social account, uh, whatever you put on the website, the teaser, the trailer, the artwork, 
all of it needs to have a clear and concise message. Yeah. And I, and I would say this, just as, just as like a little bit of tactical advice on creation of teaser and trailer content for, you know, modern promotion on social media and on uh, YouTube and on uh, the webs, uh, the web uh, specifically, which is, you know, 30 years ago, Nick, when you're in screenwriting and you're putting your screenplay together and you're shooting your film, something needed to turn the plot around within 10 minutes or in other words, 10 pages, right? Mm -hmm. Fast forward 15 years. Now something needs to happen in the first three pages or three minutes. Now what you're seeing and happening in movies, especially action movies is something needs to happen in the first 60 seconds or 30 seconds, even like something like we are moving. It is, it is starting. And I think that your trailers and your teasers have to sort of meet that demand because when you think about how you scroll through social media, it's such an unconscious movement at this point. Like you're just flicking up and you're hitting hearts, flicking up and hitting hearts. And there's like, I've even felt guilty about it myself, Nick, where I will see like true art, through photography and I just, I'm not absorbing it. I'm like, I'm not looking at it for what it is because of the medium. And it's almost like it's not a good payoff, right? Cause you gave me that great picture for free and I looked at it for two or three seconds and clicked the heart button. Cause I knew I liked it, but I didn't absorb the beauty of it. Right. Why? Because the nature of the platform and how, it's intended to be used, which is maximum content absorption uh, in, in a certain amount of time. And two, just the nature of the world's attention spans. So what does that mean for you as a filmmaker creating content to market against and try to have a clear message? It means have shorter text uh, when you put things out. Two, when you create a teaser and a trailer, it means let something exciting happen or outrageous even. I would, I would say outrageous maybe even over the top. Have something like that happen in the first five seconds of your teaser or trailer, Nick. And if you'll do that, you might be able to punch above your weight class from a marketing and branding outcome uh, perspective. Yeah. And, and I'll also get back to, you know, that, that clear, concise messaging and, you know, that first impression that indie filmmakers need to make with that. And, you know, I've done, as you know, I've done a lot of research on, um, art and taglines, right. For indie filmmakers Mm -hmm. and and also done some of the trailer reviews as well. Um, let me talk real quick about the trailer stuff. I'm going to jump off of it. If you have a trailer out there that is nothing more than the beginning of your film, (laughs) that's a fail, right? Like, I'm sorry, that, that is such a fail. And I don't know if that's a fail on the filmmaker side, on the distributor side or what, but I've seen way too many of those. Mm -hmm. It's just ridiculous. I mean, honestly, you're in some of these, I'm just watching the credits roll, right? It's like, what is that? That is not a trick. Like that's not going to get someone to watch your film. Wow. So please don't let, don't do that. Uh, if you have control over it, um, if you're having a conversation with your distributor, don't let them do that. That's, that's ridiculous. Uh, but what I wanted to mention was the, the tagline, right? So this, this messaging about being clear and concise and tying back to all the things that you mentioned, you know, I'm just thinking about some of those taglines and how, 
you know, there's, there seems to be some folks who try to create some mystery around what their film is about, where it's like, you know, 20 something spends the night in the cabin and things happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Like, why do I care about this? You know, like there's, you didn't say anything whatsoever. Right. So now you, first you give me a trailer. That's just the opening sequence of your film. And half of that is credits. And then you give me a tagline that says nothing. Right. Like don't, don't try to hide. That doesn't help you. Right. You're not hiding on social. Right. You, you're not hiding when you make your film. You're not hiding when going to get a, you know, a distribution deal. Don't hide, you know, what your film is about with a bad tagline like that. Right. Like you want people to be interested. You don't want no one at this day and age, right. With kind of like the glut, you know, cause we want to say in 2020, there is this, you know, huge, you know, like dry spell for content. Like that didn't happen. There's no dry spell, right? All of the streaming uh, service providers that are out there have a catalog that none of us could watch probably in our lifetime, right? It's just, if there's, if you want to watch content, you can watch it. So there's no, you know, uh, dry spell. There's a glut of content. So in this day and age, when people are streaming across a multitude of platforms, no one is sitting here like, ooh, you know, they didn't tell me anything. I really want to watch that one because now I'm curious. No, that's not how this game works, right? So you got to be clear and concise, tie it back to what we've said earlier about, you know, the emotional connection to the audience. And, and then you've got something. Don't, don't hide what you're trying to do in a bad tagline. Yeah, what we call that is bridging narrative gaps. Uh, so... For, for everybody taking notes at home, <laughs> that's the term. So, so what happens a lot of times is, is the audience doesn't quite get it. And then you come up in and get real intellectual and say, well, it's really a metaphor for, uh, the yep. experience of childbirth, uh, <laughs> <laughs> underwater Under, in an upside down cage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No. In, right, in Brazil. No. And you're right. <laughs> and you're like, well, okay. So, cause what you do when you, when you bridge the narrative gaps is you make your audience feel foolish and that's not fair. And that's, so they're not going to be in your corner because what you're trying to do is try, it's what you're saying passively aggressively. That's weird. Passive aggressively. <laughs> what you're saying to them is, Hey, you weren't smart enough to get my film. Yep, exactly. And that's, that's not, good footing to be on. Yeah. It's the least cool thing you can do to your audience. Don't be that guy or gal who has to bridge the narrative gaps so that you can get away with uh, bad storytelling. Don't do it. Um, Nick, let's talk about this interesting little uh, problem and shakeup that Warner Brothers is having. So for anybody that has been sort of paying attention to sort of the larger movie scene, They've um, understood and, and been watching two distinct differences in two of the bigger studios in Hollywood. So you see Universal, who was sort of first to jump to streaming uh, with Trolls and Invisible Man, et cetera. Uh, they shrunk the theater or theatrical window, and they've been strategic and sort of out front. While Warner has brought on new executives, fired a lot of people, and most recently, 
announced that their 2021 slate will go to HBO Max. Um, and I think that's about 17 movies, Nick. And the filmmakers are furious. Yeah, they're not happy with the situation at all, man. I mean, it's just like an uproar. That's right. And why are they furious? Well, as it turns out, they're furious for the same reason. And they're on the same soapbox that both me and you, Nick, have been on for years, which is fair market value for your work. And what these big studio filmmakers are about to experience is something that the indie filmmaker has had to endure. And I might get a little passionate here, so forgive me, but they, they have had to endure from the beginning. And it, I've said it before, I'll say it again. It is class action lawsuit worthy. And they're experiencing it now because their films have been chopped off at the top, right? What do I mean by that? If I'm Chris Nolan, who has a long-term relationship with Warner uh, Brothers uh, and Warner Studios since 2002, if I make a $100 million film and it goes straight to HBO Max, right? And that's where all these films are going to go. And uh, you know, what kind of check can HBO Max cut me, right, for the film? They're probably going to cut me to break even or maybe you write double the check so that everybody can be in profit participation. Maybe there's a streaming uh, rate that you get, but the streaming rate's going to be commensurate with other streaming rates that are out there most likely. And so it's a whole different game. Whereas if Chris Nolan was able to take his film to theater, he would have multiple exhibition windows, one. And two, that $100 million movie, because he's so excellent, could be a $2 billion worldwide grossing movie. Well, it just doesn't have that opportunity if it goes straight to streaming. And if you don't understand that as an executive, and Warner's new uh, CEO comes from Hulu, he's deeply entrenched in the streaming game, and might not fully understand that the only reason the movie business works is because through marketing and branding uh, of the filmmaker and the actors, you can get people to come out to the movies, have an experience, and pay $15 to $20 per ticket to watch a film. And if you go to streaming, that drops by a thousand percent. What's the average uh, streaming uh, per stream rate at Amazon, Nick? Well, I think right now, well, the last I saw, it was about six cents per view. But I think that that is even being, you know, uh, I'll say that Amazon may not be as forthcoming with what the average is anymore, right? Some of these things are becoming a little bit more shrouded these days. But if the average is six cents, then some films could be making two cents per view. That's right. And so I just wanted to make sure I wasn't talking out of my my, uh, butt a little bit here. So if we do the quick math on that, that's 300 times less. So not a thousand. I'm sorry. I I apologize. Because I believe you told me that movies cost 18 bucks where you're at, Nick. That's 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 300 times, not 300%, 300 times less than what you would get for one ticket for that same viewer, not to mention all the other areas in which you can monetize your film if it has a theatrical run through sort of cooperative marketing campaigns with candies and Cokes and drinks and alcoholic beverages and the theater itself. 
And so all those revenue streams and profit participation streams for those that invested in that movie completely fall away and you're left with the streaming uh, money that is there for these big budget films. And isn't it interesting that they are so pissed off that there is going to be, uh, that the lawyers are being corralled and lawsuits are probably going to happen to get these films out of Warner and onto somewhere where they can have a better chance to win. And so I say to you, Nick, isn't that what independent filmmakers should be doing right now uh, to, you know, against these services deals that pay between two cents and six cents a stream and, and try to fight for better rates? Yeah, it's a challenge, you know, because, you know, you go back to what you just said about the lawyers, you know, standing up and doing, you know, putting some lawsuits out there. Well, and the independent community doesn't have, you know, a team of lawyers ready to fight for them. You know, lawyers are expensive. Lawsuits are expensive. Uh, These are individuals going after major businesses, you know, and it's a little bit more challenging. I mean, should they? Uh, Yeah. I mean, they, and, but how, but how, right. Is really the question. And I know that you and I have had some conversations with filmmakers where we're saying, you know, get out of the distribution deal that you're in if you can, you know, and I know that there's a number of uh, distributors out there that do very short term deals. You know, some of them will have your film for what, 15 years or even longer. Uh, but some of them will only do two years at a time and give you the option of getting out if you want to. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we say is like, okay, so if you're in there and you're getting your two cents, right, per view, you're not making any money, right? It's just, it's just not happening on your film. So, you know, take what you really, what you spent on this thing and really start to think about, you know, if you just got, let's say $10, right, from each viewer of your film, Okay, how many viewers would it take for you to make a profit? Mm-hmm. And then envision a new model for how you can, you know, put your work behind a paywall or put ancillary products behind a paywall that they can get take advantage of and market to that number of people times two. Right. You if you only if you need thirty thousand people to make your money back, you know, maybe if you market to sixty thousand, you can get those thirty thousand to give you what you need. But basically it's like you're dealing with six cents, two cents, four cents, right? You're going to be at the lower end of the spectrum as an indie filmmaker is having it on, let's say an Amazon prime worth it. Yeah. And is it worth your marketing efforts? If you're going to put out money to try to uh, pursue scale at Amazon and look, the, the, the reason they pay you that is because they say, well, you can achieve scale with us. Like you can hit, millions and millions and millions of views in perpetuity and and make that money back. But that's kind of a hustle because we know that 80% of the profits made from any movie are made in the first three weeks of re- release. And I'm not sure that's changed necessarily in streaming. The, I, what I think has changed with streaming is that you can have reboots of a marketing campaign, meaning you're going to hit a new audience uh, after something kind of has been out for a while, especially in the indie world where like you had limited views to begin with. So your, your new audience always exists out there and you can reboot a new campaign. 
But I think in general, it's just, it's disingenuous to sort of intellectually dishonest. And to, to answer your question uh, from earlier, you know, what can we do? What we probably need is an ACLU for filmmaking, right? Uh, the WGA does that for, uh, you know, studio writers and working writers, but they're really, I don't know if there is a group that advocates and will sort of take on pro bono work on the behalf of independent creatives and film that'll say, look, uh, we have to do better than this because the end run result of this is that some pretty promising filmmakers will only get to make one or two films their entire career. Because when you lose the investor's money, those investors won't come back for round two uh, unless, you know, <laughs> you have a different kind of plan. And, and then they're like, yeah, I believe in that plan, you know, a little bit more than your, than your first plan. And I also just think about it this way. You know, how many views, if you, if you took ownership of your film and didn't go to that distributor uh, and get that services deal and, and sort of fought against your instinct to say, hey, I want my movie everywhere because I made it and put it on a place like Gum Road, for example, behind a, let's say a $10 paywall. How many people would have to contribute before you'd make the commensurate amount of money from Amazon? If 10 people paid you $10, that $100 would probably be more than you would make it an entire quarter at Amazon through their payout system, Nick, which is kind of crazy. And look, filmmakers are the only ones. Musicians and YouTube creators are in the same boat. And we're kind of all like sort of fighting against the same big corporations that sort of have us over a barrel. Um, I saw a story the other day, Nick, where a songwriter had 125,000 streams of his indie song and he made $2 and 25 cents. Yeah. It's a game, man. And you know, the content creators, I'm sorry, $225. Yeah. Content creators aren't winning that game. So think about that. The, the scale of that, if you sold anything to 125,000 people, you should be moderately wealthy. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just the truth. You should not have uh, 225 bucks before taxes. Uh, that is bananas. And so that's what has to change. That's why I say an ACLU for filmmakers would be a nice thing. Maybe it already exists. If it does, please reach out to us at contact at bonsai.film. We want to help you out because we want to help these independent creatives out. Um, but there is two sides to this coin, right? Like yeah, for sure. The, the other side of it is, so we know the system's jacked up. Yep. We know that we need to try to put some resistance and learn the lesson that Chris Nolan and these other filmmakers are teaching us right now, which is when some bullshit happens, have the courage to go and say, no, no, no. This is not how this business works. You don't know what you're doing. We're going to fight against it. Got it. Now, on the other side of the coin is, sort of what I call the willful ignorance that we as independent creatives continue to deploy in it. Yeah. And that's the part that I was going to get to, because, you know, the, this isn't necessarily, I guess, a secret, you know, there's some of it is, is kind of hidden, right. Some of the, the numbers, but if you do some research, you know, you can find these things. Um, and I think that independent filmmakers aren't looking. And I think that there's this, notion that you know their work is so great that people will automatically see it 
and it will automatically be successful. Mm-hmm. I think there's this idea that uh, they're only responsible uh, for making the film and that's it. And that's where it's over. And like, once they yeah. make that one, they put it up there wherever it can be put up and then they start to work on the next film. Um, you know, those, those are approaches you can take. There's not necessarily anything uh, wrong with those approaches right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's what you want to do, fine. But I think, you know, when, when you and I talk about independent filmmaking and where we see it going and it's and its possibilities, we're always looking at profitability. We're looking at the potential for it to be a springboard into the next project uh, of significance. And just by putting something up there on the, on the shelf, if you will, and then jumping to the next one is not going to get you there. So that, you know, when we speak, we're really speaking to those folks who want to really make a profit, who want, you know, this next project of theirs or the current project of theirs uh, to really, you know, be the next big thing for them. So you can't be ignorant to the game. You can't be ignorant to the fact that there's a business there that needs to be taken care of one from the, from the get go, right. From the beginning, but really at the end, like when this product, when the product has been completed, when the film is done, everything is in the can, as they say, now what, you know, how are you getting this thing out to those, to the people and what are the distribution deals that you're looking at? And, you know, what are your expectations on return on your investment? Uh, Because that's going to determine which platforms you go with. You know, the thing that we've you know said before about the uh, traditional distribution deals for independent filmmakers is that they're services deals. You know, hey, you're going to pay us in order for us to get you on Blu-ray, DVD, and 15 different streaming platforms. Right. It's a type of multi-level marketing where you have yeah. to pay to play. Exactly. And those platforms may not even be good for you. You know, they might not even, be, not even be good for your plat, your your film or your product or your message, but, you know, someone's going to promise to get you out there and then they're going to pay you based off of the number of views. And it's like, that's it just doesn't make sense. Like the businesses shouldn't operate that way. Right. And again, I'm getting back to the independent filmmaker. You know, you have to understand that if you're trying to make a profit, you have to operate as a business. So yeah, this willful ignorance about what happens to your film uh, once it's done is just, it's, it's kind of mind boggling in this day and age, you know, we have, you know, unfettered access to information, right? right? It's, it's all out there, you know, even us, you know, this is something we preach on the podcast, you know, on a fairly regular basis to let people know, you know, so there are, there are people out there saying it, there's information out there for you. So, yeah. So basically the, the point is it don't be ignorant to the fact that that system is benefiting itself and not necessarily looking to benefit you. And it's your responsibility as an independent filmmaker to make that profit, right. To make the decisions that get you paid, it will not be on the distributor. They don't do that. That is not their model. You know, they're going to hopefully build a slate large enough that it contains one or two unicorns and those two pay for everything else. That's right, Nick. And if you're a producer, especially this is, this message is for you. I mean, be in the business of profitability for your filmmaker and for your investors and don't, don't delude yourself, fool yourself into thinking that, look, here's the thing. People listen to this and say, okay, this is Chris and Nick. They do any talk. They represent a company. Ultimately they're trying to sell us something from Bonsai Creative. Okay. Not exactly true. We have not pulled any punches. There isn't like a secret 
one piece of forbidden knowledge we're keeping behind the wall until you call us or email us or something like that. No, on this podcast, we made a decision very early on that it was a passion project for us, something we wanted to do for the community. And so every piece of knowledge that we have about this, we just share it with you openly, you know, and, and, and forthrightly to say, don't make these decisions. You don't have to be willfully ignorant about it. Um, you don't have to say, well, at this time it'll be different because this is what this person promised me, or this is what this person said, or this is what my contract says. And a contract is a contract is a contract, not in film. Film is highly shrouded. You're going to run into a shark. If you're an independent filmmaker, you have to be very careful. And the net end, the net result of, of, of all this, by the way, is, is you end up feeling deflated and you end up feeling like a loser because you say, oh, okay, example I used earlier in it. Oh, my movie only made $100, let's say this month on a services deal. Well, that means that 1,700 people just about watch your movie. That's not bad. 1,700 people watched your movie. So why would you want to have 1700 people sit down for over an hour and watch your movie so you can make a hundred bucks instead of taking ownership of your feel of your film of your baby right hitting the ground running putting your movie behind a paywall whatever plan you take for walling it back in the day right whatever approach you take all you have to do is get 10 people to give you ten dollars to make that same money so which one's harder to get 1700 people to watch your film for hundred dollars, uh, through some service or services or to, to convince 10 people in your community to pay you $10 for your movie. I mean, to me, the answer is kind of a, a no brainer, Nick. So, <laughs> yeah, but again, it's the, um, you know, it's that ignorance. It's just not knowing, you know, it's believing that the distributor is going to do something greater for you and, you know, hopefully we can say it in as many ways as possible and plaster it up as, you know, on as many virtual billboards as possible so that people can, you know, see the writing on the wall, as it were, uh, to say that, you know, as an independent filmmaker, you are responsible for your success. You know, you are responsible for the business of your film. And, you know, everyone else out there has a, has a piece of the puzzle, right? No, no other entity has everything, like even Banzai you know, we don't have everything to give you. We have a piece of the puzzle, but you have to understand what those pieces are, when to use them and how to use them in a, in the most efficient, effective way for your project. So, yeah, so you, you can't just go into it thinking that a festival is going to, you know, it's going to get picked up there or the distributor is going to love it and then do all the marketing for you. It just doesn't work like that for indie film. Right. Average cost of an indie film is $500,000, just about, you need 50,000 people to give you 10 bucks to break even basically, right? 50,000 people is a lot of people. That's a yeah. lot of, that's a lot of hustling. If you don't have a deal, right. If you're going to do what we suggest and not play into the hands of, of a business that isn't looking out for you, that's a lot of people. But for those same 50,000 people to see your film, you're going to make three grand, $3,000, before taxes and before that distributor's expenses, by the way, okay, 
for 50,000 people to watch your film. So to me, it's a mathematical no brainer. Take heed if you're out there listening as an indie creative and Bonsai Creative definitely has your back and will help you out as much as we can. And what I mean by that is with information. And so speaking of information, Nick, (laughs) I think people can find more information. Here's how they can do it. They can reach out to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. That's B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. They can reach out to us on social media, on Twitter and on Instagram at underscore Bonsai Creative. They can find us on Facebook just by searching for Bonsai Creative and we will come right up. And then most importantly, I think most of the information, especially information of this ilk, Nick, can be found at our website at www.bonsai.film. Nick, thanks a lot for this awesome conversation. Yeah, for sure, man. This is always great. You know, um, love having these conversations with you and, and digging in on some of these great topics for the indie filmmaking community. That's absolutely right. How many blog posts do you, would you say we have up now at the at the site? Oh man, I think it's it might be between the forty and fifty range, and then we've got some other um, on on our community page. We've got some kind of bits and bytes of information we provided there. I think that's you know twenty and thirty uh, little things we've been putting up there as well, and of course on the site that you can you can also get to our. Um, our podcast episodes. So yeah, podcast episodes, blog posts, we've got uh, the little bits and bytes of information in the community section. So lots of stuff available to folks. Yeah, that's right. And this is stuff that's curated specifically for independent film. We are only in an independent film. We don't do anything else. Uh, We're not addressing studio filmmakers or writers or anything like that. We're here for the independent filmmaker. So definitely again, go to www bonsai.film to find all that. In addition, we have our industry insights content that rolls out on this podcast, same feed, so you don't have to go and find it anywhere else. If you're subscribed to the Make It Podcast, you'll get our industry insights content. You will get our mistakes in the making content, which is uh, filmmakers who tell you how they improved by making a big mistake in their career. And then we have our film investment series content that comes out weekly as well, really geared towards people who want to be investors in film like Nick and I are, or people who want to be producers in film like Nick and I are. So uh, I hope you guys will listen to all that content. Enjoy it all. It is being made um, uh, for, for you and in many, many ways by you. So with that, Nick, thank you so much. And uh, I know I'll talk to you soon. Why don't you send everybody off with the credo? Sure, man. You know, so to the all of the filmmakers out there uh, and friends of filmmaking, I'll say, as always, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk soon. Yeah, man. Take it easy. All right, brother. Bye. Laters. Later. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Banzai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, 
go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.